morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. And as we always do at this time on Sunday morning, we welcome those who are joining us online. There are those listening online. There are also those watching us online through Facebook Live. And as I encourage you to do, I'm going to encourage the same thing of the people in the audience even here. Pick up your phone. Take a moment and share this from our feed, our Facebook page, to your own personal Facebook page because then your friends and people that you know, maybe not your friends, but people that you know, uh, they are exposed to it and they can watch it with you. We always want to encourage you to do that. We also want to say this. At the very end of the service today, we're going to take communion. So if you're watching on Facebook Live, you'll want to have some elements, get you some juice, get you some bread or something that represents those two things things and have those at the very end of the service today because we want you even if you're at home or in your office or maybe in your car and you just want to pull over you're listening or watching uh hopefully you're not watching because you're watching the road but again maybe you can listen to the audio uh pull over to the side of the road and, and if you have a you know a donut or, or some juice or something just something that can symbolize the elements of communion because we will observe communion at the end of the service today you know, when I think about this series, it's really kind of interesting because this may kind of sound a little crazy to you. This, this series it, it has been kind of hard-hitting uh, because I had some people uh, at the end of last week's service say, uh, ouch, that kind of hurts. You know, again, we're, we're pushing some buttons and pushing on some things that are, that are really relevant to where we are in our country and our culture and in our world. And you know, we're never going to shy away from those topics here. Uh, when the Holy Spirit moves and pushes me and guides me, we're going to talk about the things that we need to talk about. And sometimes those are very difficult topics. But I'm going to kind of go beyond that and say this. The reason why this series has been good is not so much about you, but it's about me. Uh, it's been really good for me because it's things that I've needed to be reminded of. Uh, I've needed to understand that there are some things that can creep into my own life if I'm not careful and if I'm not leaning into God and putting up certain barriers uh, and certain boundaries, things in my own life can even happen if I'm not too, if I'm not too careful. And uh, it, it's really, I mean, it's really kind of crazy because uh, just thinking about the, the way things are going in, in, our, in our world and in our country, you, you look and you see things that are happening and, and it, it, it can be so discouraging. So, you know, I, 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 I've kind of come to the place where I, I learned that if I talk about the the things that are going on in my life, you know, just the the, tr the struggles that I'm dealing with myself, uh, I, I'm probably going to hit just about everybody in the audience. I've said that before, but generally, if I will just speak from the things that I struggle with, the things that are happening to me, it's it's pretty much money. I, I'm pretty much going to be able to hit most of the people who are listening or those people who are watching online and those of you who are in the audience today. But again, I've just learned that, that's, that if I can just talk from what's going on in my own life, uh, it, it's going to hit everybody. It's going to hit the majority of us. And, and, and you know, as I, I thought about today, I said, you know, what's a great way to start? Because it's, it's, a, it's kind of a different Sunday. It's a wrap-up Sunday for a three-part series. And I thought, you know, one, one, of the, one of the things that I think would be applicable to today is just to start with the time of confession. Uh, I, I think it would be great for us if you can. Let me, let me just ask you this question. Hasn't the last 14 months been difficult? I mean, wouldn't you just agree that the last 14 months from March of 2020 till May of 2021, I mean, can, can, we, can we all just admit that it's been difficult? Can we all just confess that it's been difficult? It's been difficult financially. It's been difficult relationally. It's just been difficult. And, and knowing that it's been difficult, 
it, it, it kind of forced me to think and look at what's happened over the last year. And if you were asking me to pick a word that describes where we are, it's going to be this word, divided. We're divided. You know, I used to be proud to say that I was from the United States of America. I'm still proud to say that, but it doesn't seem like the United States of America anymore, does it? It seems like the divided states of America. Because we're divided on so many issues. I mean, and when you think about all the things that we're being confronted with, it doesn't feel like we're united anymore. It feels like instead we're divided. And, and instead of the things that we're having to deal with right now, you know, used to be those things would pull us together. They would unite us. You look back at 9-11 when that tragedy happened, that just kind of united us. And, and everybody headed back to the church and everybody started kind of reflecting on their life and confessing and repenting, repenting uh, of the sin that was a part of their life. And there was a coming together. But that's not happening now. Instead of us being united, we're divided. Things that are, the, the things that are happening in our world right now, they're dividing our families, they're dividing our relationships, they're dividing our schools, they're dividing our churches, they're dividing the country. I mean, you think about it this morning, think about it. We're divided over politics, left, right, Republican, Democrat. We're, we're divided over what to watch on TV. Do we watch CNN or do we watch Fox News? We're divided over race. We're divided over standing or kneeling. We're divided over schools being open or closed. We're divided over church online or actually attending church in person. We're divided over a mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine. We're divided over sports or no sports, concerts or no concerts. We're even divided over chicken, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's. Now think about it. I want you to know this because, I, I mean, I love some Chick-fil-A but we're getting a Popeye's out there on 231. And they have a mean chicken sandwich. <laughs> I told you last week that I believe that Satan himself is laughing at all this. I believe the devil himself is laughing at us. And the reason that he's laughing is one of his greatest strategies is to divide us. And especially to divide the people of God and to divide, the, to divide the church of Jesus Christ. Because Satan knows this. Satan knows that if he can cause division, then he's won. The devil himself knows that if he can cause division among God's people and in God's church, then he knows that he is won. And you would say, why? Why would he think that he is won? I'll tell you why he would think that he was won. He is won. He would think that he's won because here's the thing. When the church of Jesus Christ is united, then the church is an amazing, unstoppable force for good. You just have to understand that. When we come together and we are united, then we are an unstoppable force. And honestly, I think there's another way to say it. This is the way that I would really put it. The church is only as strong as it is united. So this morning, knowing that the place that we're at, the place that we find ourselves, is a place of division. I mean, you look at the news, look at the culture, look at what's happening in our community and other communities. Knowing that we're divided, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to spend my time talking about healing. Talking about healing. 
And it's my opinion. Listen to me this morning. It's my opinion that that if there is going to be healing in this land, that that healing is going to need to be modeled in the diversity of the church of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to make a plea to you. And this plea is interesting. Because this is the very same plea that the Apostle Paul made to the church at Corinth. Because the church at Corinth, I want you to understand whether you know much about that church, that church was a church that was divided. And in that church, there were cliques and there were clubs and there was disunity. And if you say, you know what, uh, those issues pale in comparison to what we have going on in our day, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. No, it's not. They had much bigger issues than I believe even we have today. They had some amazing barriers in that world and in that culture, and those barriers would produce deep prejudice and racism and classism and sexism. In fact, the Apostle Paul is committed in the first four chapters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, to look at this subject of unity. I think the fact that he, he takes four chapters of 1 Corinthians and he devotes it to this subject, it just tells us the importance of the subject of unity to the Apostle Paul. Paul considers unity to be in the church of Jesus Christ a very important thing. And this is how he starts as he begins what I believe is a very passionate plea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says this. He says, I appeal to you. Now look at what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. And see, again, the natural tendency would be for you and I just to read over that. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. But when Paul says brothers and sisters, what he's saying is we're going to talk about this as family. I look at my relationship with you and your family. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, look at, look, at what, look at what he says, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I, I want you to be perfectly united in mind and thought. So we're, we're, we're talking about unity. How do we fight for that? In this divided country, in this divided community, in this divided culture. How do we fight for unity? Well, notice that there are two aspects to this call that Paul issues, this plea that he issues. Look at, look at verse 10. Here's what he says. He says, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, that, that, that's important because that phrase, perfectly united, it, it, it comes from a, from a word that, that that word actually means like to mend something that's broken, like a, like a fishing net. I mean, in a culture like, like where this was written, the fishing net was very important because it provided so much food. So many people were fishermen. And he says, perfectly united. So you would take a fishing net and you would mend that net so that the fish cannot get away. You would fix it. 
So, so the phrase perfectly united comes from a word that would, that would be like a surgeon who, who fixes a broken bone. It's a healing term. Perfectly united. It's a healing phrase. The idea is that somebody takes something that is broken and they fix it. Take something that, that needs healing and see that healing is brought to it. Now think about that. And look at our culture. And wouldn't you say that healing is what we need? I'd say healing is something that all of us need and our country needs. And see, Paul looked at the church at Corinth and Paul knew that there were divisions in the church. But Paul also knew as he looked at those divisions in the church, here's what he knew. With his insight and his wisdom given to him by the Holy Spirit, Paul knew that those divisions that existed in the church at Corinth, he knew that healing could actually take place in those divisions. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew that people didn't need to go to another church. Paul knew that people didn't need to live their life and avoid them at Publix or Walmart or out in public. He knew that that didn't need to happen. Paul also knew that people didn't need to log on to social media and take a low blow at other people. Paul knew that. Paul believed that there could be healing. And his idea as he spoke to the church at Corinth was, I want you to be healed. I want you to be perfectly healed in mind and thought. And, and this, this is what I believe he's saying. First, I think he's saying that as it relates to the essentials of the faith and the things that are non-negotiable as it relates to our Christian belief, I think Paul was telling the church at Corinth, I, I want you to be united. I want you to be united in mind. Now, some of you are questioning, like, okay, Randy, when you talk about the essentials of the faith, I'm going to tell you what that is. Here, here, here's what I believe the essentials of our faith are. The essentials of our faith are who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. That's the essentials of our faith. Jesus came to this world specifically to die on a cross so that you and I could experience salvation. Because he rose again. After he was crucified and placed in the tomb, after three days he rose again. And listen, just like the song said and just like I'm saying and the scripture says and we know it is essential of the faith, only Jesus can save us. There's no other way. Those are the essentials of our faith. So here's what we do. What do we do? We come together. We unite around those essentials. We, are, we unite around the name of Jesus. But Paul doesn't just stop with the essentials. He also talks and addresses the non-essentials. See, there are areas of Scripture, and again, I'm going to tell you if, you, if you go to a church and the preacher says what he's telling you is right all the time, run. Because there are things in Scripture that are not black and white. There are things in Scripture that I can't answer for you and be absolutely sure that I'm telling you the truth. There are areas in Scripture, uh, scripture where there are areas, areas of opinion. 
And those are areas, now listen to what I'm saying, as a non-essential, those are areas that in my mind are open for discussion. So I think Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, and he's saying to us this morning, I want you to be united in those things. Be united in thought. I want you, Paul is saying, I want you to be able to agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Do you pick what I'm putting down? I want you to agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Matter of fact, a, a friend exposed me to a saying that I've seen used quite often. And here's that saying. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. I'm going to tell you people, that's worth writing down. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. In other words, what Paul is saying, in essentials, we unify. Now, that, that statement is not from Paul, but it kind of you know, mirrors what he's saying. In essentials, we unify. In non-essentials and matters of opinion, we give each other the freedom to be different than we are. But then in all things, love. Because what did Jesus say last week? That people would know us by what? They would know us by our love. See, I, I've been around the church since I was born. I've been fortunate. Well, sometimes I would say I've not been fortunate. <laughs> but for the most part, I would say I'm, I'm very fortunate. That I've been around the church since I was born. And having been around the church for those 45 years, <laughs> I'm holding on to that, people. I'm holding on to that. It used to be 35. Now it's 45. Having been around the church all of my life, you know what I've seen? I've seen churches fall apart and split. I've seen churches split. And many of you know all about that because you've been a, church, you've been a part of a church that split. You've been a part of a church that had some severe internal inside problems, and those churches split. And many times, as many of you know, those splits get really ugly. And Christ followers are seen at their absolute worst. And not only is it just terrible, it's painful. And my experience tells me, now li listen to what I'm saying, my experience, my experience tells me that I have never seen a church split because they were not united in mind. And because they were not united in the essentials. But instead, it's almost always because they were not united in thought. They were not united in the things that were the non-essentials. And some of you would say, well, what do you mean, Randy, when you talk about the non-essentials? I'll tell you what I mean. When we talk about non-essentials, we're talking about the kind of music that's played or sang. That's a non-essential. The, the type of music can be different from here versus First Baptist or College Hill. 
When I talk about non-essentials, I'm talking about the style of music. I'm talking about what programs we offer. I'm talking about political convictions. I'm talking about things that are as crazy as the color of the paint on the walls. Have you known that the churches have split because of the carpet and the chairs, whether chairs or pews or carpet color or or carpet style? I mean, that's a non-essential. The brand of coffee that we use in the cafe. And by the way, we're going to try to open the cafe back up in a couple of weeks. Now, those things may sound crazy, but those are what I call non-essentials. And see, here's the thing I want you to realize. There are many, so many theological topics that honestly, listen, because again, this is not heresy, but listen to what I'm saying. There are so many theological topics that make no difference whether you're going to go to heaven or not. So we're, supposed, we're not supposed to divide over those things. We're not supposed to divide over things like the end times. How's it going to play out? I mean, I feel like we're in it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I'm looking at the signs that the Bible tells me, and I think we're getting close. But you know what? They've been thinking that for 2,000 years. We're not supposed to divide over things like Bible prophecy and the end times and speaking in tongues. How long did it literally take to create the world? There are thousands of non-essentials, and we cannot, listen to me, we cannot allow those non-essential things to divide us. So here's the thing. Paul was not calling the church at Corinth to uniformity. But Paul was calling the church at Corinth just like he's calling us. He's calling us to unity. He's calling for those relationships in the church to be healed. See, some some of us misunderstand the word united. United does not mean that all of us in this room are going to see everything the same way. United does not mean that everybody in this room or those watching online and listening are going to agree with everything that is said. United does not mean that all of us in this room are going to vote the same way. And it doesn't mean that we're going to have the same opinion about issues that are important to our culture. I mean, I think about this, and I can't even get my wife to agree with me on anything. And we've been married 39 years. I was six years old when I got married. (laughs) But we're still together and we're still united, even though we don't agree on everything. See, here's where the rubber meets the road. We need to stop confusing uniformity with unity. Did you hear me? You need to stop confusing uniformity with unity. Because when you think about it, again, here's something worth writing down. University, unity can handle diversity. I'm preaching right here, and somebody better grab a hold of this. Unity can handle diversity. Diversity of opinions, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of genders, diversity of politics. In fact, you don't have unity if you don't have diversity. You only have uniformity. Think about it like this. 
What makes the vocal team sound so good? Is it because they sing in unison? No. It's because they sing in harmony. They don't sing the same notes. They don't sing, they sing different notes. But when they sing the same song and they blend in together, it can sound beautiful. But think about that vocal team. If they were singing different songs all at the same time, it wouldn't sound beautiful. If they were singing in different keys, it wouldn't sound beautiful. And this is the reason, especially now as we have been out of this time or as we're coming out of this time where, where, you know, we just weren't doing much. But this is the reason why I'm so passionate about you people getting involved, not just attending a service. But this is why I'm passionate about you getting involved and serving and doing things and building relationships with other people. This is why when groups start back up, we need to get you into a community group. We need to get you into a group where you're actually doing life with other people. Because again, out there on that island by yourself, you're not building the relationships that God wants you to have as a part of your life. Groups will kick back up in the future. But here's the thing I want you to know. If we want to make a difference in the world, if we want to fully follow Jesus with our lives, then you're going to have to invest in some bold relationships with people who are not like you. You're going to need to invest in some relationships, some bold, some daring relationships. You need to get in relationship with people who are not like you, who are different than you. Because here's the thing, in the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be committed to one another. And we commit, like Paul said, we commit to each other as brothers and sisters. Why would we commit to each other like brothers and sisters? Because here's what I'm about to say. This is an eternal relationship. You're going to be in heaven with a bunch of these people forever. So why not start getting along with them now? Take the time to get along with them now. And don't just be getting along with them. Why can't we come together and be unified now? We fight for unity by doing what Paul says, by being perfectly united in mind. By being perfectly united on the essentials of the faith. And then there's freedom and liberty of thought as it relates to the non-essentials. But covering all of this is this beautiful buttercream icing that says we do all things in love. All things in love. Then Paul does something really interesting in the next section of 1 Corinthians. Paul starts to be very specific. He starts to identify some of the things that can actually pull us apart. And the first thing that he actually identifies is quarrels. Look at verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. 
Now understand this, quarrels means bitter words. These are not minor words, these are bitter words. This is a big time split. And there are some bitter things happening in the church at Corinth. It was so bitter that Paul actually wrote to Timothy about this. And here's what he said in 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 and 24. He said to Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and arguments. I can't, I, I, that's, that's a word that we don't say at our house. Don't have anything to do with foolish and arguments. Because you know that those things produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, look at what he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Now think about this. Because I read what I see in 2 Timothy 2, and it makes me wonder. I mean, think about the things that you are quarreling about right now. And you think the things that you have under your skin, that burr in your saddle, that hitch in your giddy-up, you think it's so big. But really, is it? I mean, I'll have people come to me even with, and, and, and let me tell you, we have a great church. But we'll still have people who get something, you know, in their mind and something that they think, and, and, and they'll bring that to me. And I'm like, it, it just makes me ask, uh, wait, 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 wait. It makes me ask the question. Is the thing that you think so big, is the problem that you have with the church or with me or with the music or, or with the teaching, is, is the problem that you have so big and so hot and so life or death, is it so big that when we get to heaven, in light of eternity, and you look back, is that really going to have been something that was worth quarreling over? See, here's the thing I would challenge you with this morning. When you have a, a burr in your saddle, a hitch in your giddy-up, something that you don't like here, wherever you go, at work, always ask yourself the question, in light of eternity, does it really make any difference? And you know what you'll do? You'll shove most of those in your back pocket. In light of eternity, does it really make that much difference? Paul says one of the things that he sees in the church at Corinth is quarrels. Now, the second thing that Paul identifies that pulls us apart is cliques. Little personality cliques, little fan clubs. Because those were starting to emerge in the church at Corinth. You know, we haven't had a lot of trouble with that here, but, I mean, we've had some of that, you know, some cliques, little clubs that, you know, they kind of all stood together. They, did, they, they never associated with anybody else. We've had that happen here. And that was happening in the church at Corinth. They, they, they started getting all about, you know, they were all about different leaders. Look, look, at, look at what it says in, in, in verse 12, following verse 11 there. It says, here's what it says. It says, one of you says, I'll follow Paul. Another says, I'll follow Apollos. Another says, I'll follow Cephas. But still another one says, I'll follow Christ. Now, 
look, look at that. The, the very first thing is this group that follows Paul. And you, and you want to know, well, why would they follow Paul? Paul's been long gone. I'll tell you why they still follow Paul. Because they were probably there when Paul started the church. And they were very loyal. They were very devoted to Paul. So there's this group that says, you know what, we follow Paul. They probably came to faith in Jesus Christ because of the ministry of Paul. So you have that group, but then you have this other group who say, you know what, no, we don't follow Paul, we follow uh, Apollos. And Apollos was this very gifted teacher who, who came and taught after Paul left. Paul's been long gone. But Apollos was this very gifted communicator, he, and, and people just loved him. And so there's a group in there that thinks, you know, he's the man, he's the guy, he's the one we want to follow. So they say, you know, we don't follow Paul, we follow Apollos. But then there's another group that says, you know what, we don't follow Paul and we don't follow Apollos, we follow Cephas. And you say, well, who the heck is Cephas? That's Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's Peter. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. And you think to yourself, oh, wait, Peter was one of the original 12. So naturally, you would see why people would say, we follow Cephas, we follow Peter, because he was with Jesus. He was one of the original 12. That's the third group. We don't follow Paul, we don't follow Apollos, we follow Peter. And then there's this last group that when you look at them, you say, oh, yeah, this has to be the group. <laughs> I mean, we follow Christ. We follow Christ. You can follow Paul, you can follow Apollos, and you can follow Peter, but I'm going to follow Christ. And on the surface, let me tell you, that may look like the best group. Because as you look at a group that follows Jesus Christ, you would think this is a group that has spiritual maturity. This is a group that has spiritual perspective. And these are the people that I should really desire to be around. Oh, ho, ho, ho. not so. Not to be. Because those people who follow Christ, now hang with me because I, some of you are going to think, oh man, he's going off the deep end. They were probably the most dangerous group. The people who said they follow Christ are probably the most dangerous group in that church. And why would I say they were probably the most dangerous group? I'll tell you why. They were probably spiritually smug elitists who thought it was their way or the highway. They're the group of people that says, you know what? We don't need to submit to authority. We don't need to, sit to submit to human authority. We don't submit to Paul. We don't submit to Cephas. We don't submit to Apollos. We only submit to Jesus. And that group that said they follow Christ was just as divisive as those other three groups. And not only were they just as divisive as those other three groups, I'm going to tell you, my opinion, they were worse. They were probably even more divisive. So Paul says, what pulls us apart? What, what, what makes us abandon unity? It's quarrels. It's clubs. It's cliques. But then the third thing that Paul says that pulls us apart, he says, is the loss of focus on the main thing. 
Look, look at verse 13 because he, he, it's really interesting in verse 13 because he asks, he asks, oh Lord Jesus, help me. Who's my English teacher? That, that's, that, that right there, what I just said is really going to make sense in just a minute. Hold on to that, okay? Ask us, ask us. I'm going I'm to point it out when I get there. He asks three rhetorical questions. Look at what he says in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? What, what's the answer to those questions? No, 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 no. Was Christ divided into pieces and handed to you? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul. No, no, no. But in the next few verses, Paul even starts to talk about how people were bragging about who baptized them. But then he says this in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence. Remember what I said a while ago? Not with wisdom and eloquence. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What's Paul saying? He's saying that's the main thing. The main thing is to preach the gospel. The main thing is to talk about and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, that's the mission that this church is on, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is centered around what happened at Calvary on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the mission of who we are. And as long as there's one lost person out there, as long as there's one lost sheep, then we have a goal. And that goal is to reach them with the love of Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you something honestly? I think the world is sick of hearing about the love of Jesus. Because the world wants to see the love of Jesus. They don't want to hear about the love of Jesus. They want to see the love of Jesus. Look at what Je Jesus said in John chapter 12. Jesus says, but I. Talking about himself. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And that's our goal. That's the main thing, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to lift up Jesus in everything that we do so that people, listen, so that people would be drawn to him. We're not trying to draw people to a denomination. We're not trying to draw people to a, a political view or a political party. We're not trying to get people to follow a certain pastor. We want to lovingly draw people to Jesus Christ. And let's never forget that we are united around that common mission. 
we are united around the common mission of drawing people to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the other thing you need to understand. We are united against a common enemy. We are united against an enemy. Your enemy is not a Republican or a Democrat. Your enemy is not the person who votes different from you. Your enemy is not the person with a different skin color than you. Your enemy is not the person who has had a different life experience than you have had. We have one enemy, people. Listen to me. We have one enemy, and that enemy is the devil. He is the liar. He is the prince of darkness. He is the father of lies, and he is the great deceiver. That's who our enemy is. And Jesus told us that he is a thief who is coming and will kill and steal and destroy, and he will divide us every time he gets an opportunity to divide us. And when he divides us, listen to me, when he divides us, he wins. When he divides us, he wins. And when followers of Jesus when you get on social media and you post hate-filled divisive things on social media, you know what happens? He wins. When you're hateful with other people who are different from you and they have a different opinion than you and people can see it and people know that you claim to follow Jesus and they see that, you know what happens? The enemy wins. When you attack somebody else who is made in the image of Almighty God, you know what happens? The enemy wins. But when we unite against our common enemy, and when we unite around a common mission, the kingdom of God moves forward. And when the kingdom of God moves forward, the kingdom of God is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. You know, I look back over the several, last several years, and God has given us some, something very special at Crosspoint. You remember how Jesus prayed in his final moments? Look at, look at John 17. This is what Jesus said. He said, I pray. I pray also for those who will believe in me. That all of them may be one. United. That all of them may be one so that the world may believe that you've sent me. That's my prayer too. That's my prayer for Crossroads. And here's the thing I would say to you this morning. I hope that's your prayer too. I think that should be all of our prayers. when you think about the life of this church, the life of this church has been exciting. I, I, I want to be honest with you, though. I'm going to be totally honest with you. God showed me some things about this church years ago, and those things haven't happened. And, it's, and, and sometimes it can get discouraging. But, but even in the discouragement, God will throw me a bone and give me something that allows me just to hold on the vision and the mission that he gave me. So I can say without any doubt that the, the years of this church have been exciting. And we've seen God do some amazing things. 
But I think there's no limit. Listen, listen, listen. I think there's no limit to what God can do if we will passionately pursue this powerful yet fragile gift that's been given to us. That gift is the gift of unity. Pursue that no matter what it costs. I think if we pursue that powerful gift of unity, that it's limitless as it relates to what God can do at Crossroads. See, I know things look hopeless right now. But I want you to hear me say, my lips to your ears. I still have hope. Amen? I have hope for this country. I have hope for this country. If you and I will take the time to model unity in the diversity of the church of Jesus Christ. I heard a story told. Vacation Bible School. Second grade teacher said, you know what, I had a great Vacation Bible School class. Said we had gone through the week and it was Wednesday. The kids had been amazingly good well behaved and said but on Wednesday we had a visitor now these are second grade kids she said I wish I had time and wish I had known and I would prepare them for this visitor she said Davy came into the class and Davy had a physical challenge he only had one arm she said, I was just hoping the kids wouldn't stare at him and look at him, but they did. She said, if I could have done anything to prevent that, for him having to feel like he stood out among all the other kids, she said, I would have done anything to prevent that. But said they did relatively well knowing that he was so different from them. She said, then we came to the end of Vacation Bible School and that class that day on that Wednesday and I looked at the students and uh, the kids in the class and I said, why don't we do what we've been doing on every day of Vacation Bible School? Why don't we put our hands together? And why don't we say, this is the church and this is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. She said, I didn't even think about it. And I looked, and there he was with just one arm. She said, but the little girl next to him took her hand and put it in his hand and said, Davy, come on. Let's build the church together. Don't you think that's what we've been called to do? 
We've been called to build the church together. That's exactly what we need to do. Let's join hands, all of us, all across this room. Rich and poor, black and white, Asian and Latino. And let's just build the church together. Let's build the church of Jesus Christ, but we do it united. We do it together. And see, I don't know of a more powerful representation of unity. Than communion. I don't know of a more powerful representation of unity than the Lord's Supper. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you picked up your elements. If you don't have one of these, like I'm holding in my hand right here, would you just raise your hand right where you're seated and hopefully I could get one of our guest service team members to bring those to you. It's, it's a little awkward. You have two things to peel back in just a moment. You have one that'll peel back and you'll find the wafer. The second one you peel back and you'll find the juice. So if you have your communion elements, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and get those ready. And if you're watching online, we're going to ask you right where you are to get those ready as well. You have the bread and the juice or something that symbolizes those things. We're going to ask you to, to have those ready yourself and maybe even to pass that out with the people that are among you. See, let me tell you the importance of this table. The importance of this table is that we all come to this table different. We all come to the table diverse. We come here in this room. Other people this morning are coming to the table behind a computer or behind a phone or behind a, an iPad. We come to this table from different backgrounds. We come to this table as a different colored people, different ethnicities. You know what's going to happen this morning? We're going to come to this table as mask wearers and mask haters. We come to this table as people who took the vaccine and people who are not going to take the vaccine. But in this moment, we come to this table and we do so in dramatic and radical fashion. Because in just a moment, we're going to come to this table. And as we do, you know what we do? We defy the tide of divisiveness. Amen? We, divide, we defy the tide of divisiveness because in just a moment, we're all going to come together as one in Jesus Christ. We come together to eat together, to pray together, to repent together, to worship together. And we do it despite the fact that we're different. I mean, think about it. That's the reason why it's called communion. We come to the table and we commune with one another. So here's the thing I want to tell you this morning. As you eat and drink, you know what you're stating? As you eat the bread and drink the juice, you're stating your commitment to the, to the body of 
Christ. And that the people that are gathering around that table with you, those people are closer allies to you than your political party or your political allegiance. The people who are gathering with you around the table this morning are closer allies than your work allegiances. That's what you're saying. Jesus gathered his disciples and he picked up the bread. You have the wafer. And he broke it. And today as families from diverse backgrounds, in unison, we're invited to eat the bread. And in a moment as we eat the bread, we are reminded to remember his broken body. And in just a moment when you eat the wafer, which symbolizes his body, the bread, you're going to do that with godly sorrow. In the spirit of godly sorrow. In the spirit of repentance. For any divisions that you may have committed to the body of Christ. To the church. Would you take your wafer, your bread, and let's eat together? same way Jesus took the cup and here's the thing as we drink it today let's do so as a form of commitment let's commit this morning that we want to bring about the kind the kind of unity the type of unity that Paul talked about the unity where Jesus prayed in his last prayer when he asked the Father, make them one. Would you drink? Would you bow your heads and pray, please? God, we take this time this morning. And we come to your table in unity, knowing that there are Republicans, Democrats, white, black, Latino, people who have had crazy life experiences, people who have had wonderful life experiences. But when we come to the table, we are one. We are unified in the name of Jesus. We come to the table repenting of the things that we have done and the things that have been a part of our lives, the damage that we have done to the body of Christ, the church. But we also ask you, God, in this moment to do something new in each one of our lives, to take the things that have happened, the experiences that we bring to the table, and to crush those and use those in a way that only you can. Bring something new out of who we are and who have you, you have called us to be. Allow us to experience the unity that Jesus prayed for.
that when we experience that and when we practice that, that we are truly being the church that you've called us to be. God, this morning we ask you by your Holy Spirit to bring healing to our land, to bring healing to our bodies, to bring healing to our church, to bring healing to our spirits. And do it in the power that is given to us in the name of Jesus Christ as we ask this prayer this morning.
So much of it's tied to unity, being united around the essentials, giving freedom on the non-essentials, but in all things love. Amen? All things love. 